very funnily went up to him and said, oh, is Jermaine, is it? Oh, it was very funny. He goes, you can call me JJ if you want. This so the whole evil. game, I'm there, JJ, JJ. I even shortened it to J at one point. I was like, yeah. well, I scored and he didn't, so. <laughs> OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. You know, when you do get to the stage and now you're, you're judged on the international stage and you're judging peers and it's not just the Irish Times that's, you know, giving you a score at the bottom of it, it's everybody. You know, if you're on social media, you are open to global criticism, um, you know, from a, from a local audience. It's, it's there and, you know, you have, to, you have to be, if you're either, if you're going to be in that world, you have to be open to, to, to both sides of it and that's not necessarily easy all the time. We don't have Garda escorts or buses down tunnels, you know, dropped at the dressing room door. So they do see us, unfortunately, just arriving and landing into the parking um, in a stadium. like, And it can be a fairly daunting walk um, sometimes, particularly um, when it's in Crow Park, Parky Cueve, um, Semple Stadium, somewhere big, big match days, and you're walking through the fans, no special treatment for the referee uh, trying to get into the dressing room. You know, it, it can be intense. You know, some comments can be, be thrown to you and it's very difficult to, to block those out. Um, and I don't think fans really appreciate um, the type of mindset we're trying to um, um, get into and to prepare for, for a huge game like that. And they would have no idea of the pressures that are on you and the stress that you've gone through in the week before. There's no different than the player. You don't want to make uh, a big mistake that's going to cost someone their opportunity to get to an All-Ireland final or to lift Sam Maguire. So the, the pressure is, is immense. We're here with thanks to Gillette. It's all in association with Movember, Effortless Shave, Magnificent Mo, and we have two magnificent guests for you today. David Goff, Gordon Darcy. Good afternoon to you. Afternoon. Afternoon. No Magnificent Mo's is the uh, short story. How was the shave? Uh, it was interesting. First time in nine years that I've actually put a wet razor to my face. Really? So uh, I feel like a bit like a child at the moment. <laughs> How did you find it? Was, it? was it, you typically just use the dry... Just a trimmer, like yeah. a beard trimmer. Keep it trimmed uh, neatly um, every couple of days, but... Uh, yeah, it's a bit tingly there now at the moment. Styled almost, would you say? Or That's it, uh, styled. It's definitely <laughs> styled, yeah. Gordon, you? You're... Yeah, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be far off. Uh, David, I kind of, I go with long periods without shaving. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, it's the first time probably, um, geez, probably since I've been in school that I've kind of had a, had a wet shave. So probably a little bit longer than that. And yeah, I was looking at it, as I was doing it, I was like, on, you know, getting a little bit long and then had to, had, had to keep going. But yeah, it feels great. Over the years, you would have grown some very impressive yeah. facial hair. Well, great thing you could just like leave it off for, you know, two years and just let it off. <laughs> yeah. You had, a, you had a right beard at one point, didn't well, you? We the, yeah, we won the um, the championship in 2014. What's the thinking that? Is it just like, I'm looking for a change and that's what I'm doing? Or no, like I met a, with Sexton. Was uh, that right? Yeah, so we had a bet for the New Zealand game in 2013. Um, 
Johnny basically, had, in his own unique way, had very, very graphically described how much he hated my beard. And he said, let's have a bet for the New Zealand game. We win. I get to shave your beard. I was like, Grant. Obviously, we, we managed to lose with 20 seconds on the clock. And we're sitting in the hotel having a beer. And he just said, listen, double or quits for the Six Nations. I was like, yeah, Grant. So the last minute of the game, Dave Kearney, who has one of the best reads ever from a winger, comes in, forces a forward pass, the last play of the game. We win the we win the championship, and on the bus, um, Sexton takes out the uh, the beard trimmer, <laughs> starts hacking hacking it off on the on the on the bus. Wow! Yeah, then I went upstairs with a lovely clean shave. <laughs> you were like, right, you've hacked up me. Yes, up, yeah. yeah, yeah. Time to get rid of it then. So you were uh, you were praying for that. Uh, well, was it a, it was a Carney intercept, was it, or was it a? No, it was. Uh, France were attacking, um, and uh, Dave Carney just had this brilliant read off the, off his wing. It was a two on one, and he just shot in. Brilliant read, uh, huge pressure on the passer. He uh, he uh, flipped it forward, and uh, referee called. I think they scored, and they called it back for a forward pass. So fine margins. There's everybody thinking, you know, you're trying to put the fear of God into the opponent by, you know, this sort of grisly, uh, grisly exterior, but not a bit of it. No, um, no. <laughs> We're here uh, with Thanks to Gillette and it all relates to Movember and a big part of Movember is obviously uh, men's physical health, uh, health and a lot to do with men's mental health as well. Um, talk to us, uh, David, we've had really interesting conversations, you and I, over the last six months, particularly about some stuff that's cropped up over the course of GEA. And it does strike me that um, there are uh, periods in your career, particularly where the heat is on, that uh, it must be at times very difficult to manage your own mental health in some regards, given the, the spotlight that's on you. Yeah, it can be quite difficult, um, particularly in build-ups to All-Ireland Finals or, or high-profile matches where the talk becomes about the referee because the very nature of inter-county football, um, there's quiet uh, dressing rooms and inter-county managers don't do um, pre-game media much anymore. So the focus can often turn on onto the referee, which happened in, in 2019. And that was difficult at the time. And uh, it's not something um, we often speak about, about mental health with, with match officials, because match officials aren't very often in the media so talking about m mental health with match officials hasn't come up uh, but it has recently with the with the recent events in in, in GA which have shone a very negative uh, spotlight on on, on referees uh, and match officials mental health particularly with Noel Brick's survey that came out there recently so uh, it, it's great to be shining a spotlight on that at the moment what do you do around those times to manage it because like, it's there's an unexpected I suppose there's an expected nature to some of it because you're coming up to a provincial final or a an Ireland semi-final or an Ireland final, whatever it might be, and I presume there's an area of sort of expectancy about that, but the unexpected stuff where something happens within a game where you go, geez, I got that wrong, whatever it might be. How do you, have you go-to methods from which you can manage yourself after that? or Well, initially we'd have visits with the uh, sports psychologist or sports counsellor before the game, visualisation. Um, the interesting thing, you're talking about making a mistake and, and we wouldn't know on the field generally whether we've made a mistake or not. We've no VAR, we've no um, TMO. So if we make a mistake in, in, in what the media might think we've made a mistake. On the field, we don't actually know about it. Um, we've made the decision, we've seen it live, we've called it, and in our minds, um, we believe it to be true. But it's then when, when the players start to question it, you might consider, maybe I got that wrong. And it's it's about to visualisation, you know, some key words that just help you to stay calm and settle. Because of all the people on the field, we're the ones that can't lose our composure. So it's hugely important. What are the key words? I'll keep those secrets. <laughs> Are there certain players in those instances where you know, right, if he's kicking up a fuss or he's reacted in that way, there might be something here more than I'm thinking at that minute or? 
There are, because it's, it's, you get so used to dealing with the intercounty players week in, week out. You know, the ones that um, w- would, would approach you to, to, to ask a question or the ones that would really complain. And the ones that are really complaining, you might think, well, maybe I've made a, a blatant error here. Mm-hmm. But it's man management and, uh, and control. And it's a lot of communication, uh, being calm. And sometimes it's not exactly what you're saying. What's more important is what the player is hearing. So let's say it happens, something happens in the first half at halftime. Are you like, is there a method for you to find out at half time or will typically somebody come knocking or? No, no. The only time I've seen someone come knocking was with the uh, Hawkeye incident in Crow Park this year and the All-Ireland semi-final Mm -hmm. at Galway and Derry. But we'd have no outside influence at any stage in the match. It's just the eight match officials back to the dressing room. It's just the eight of us. We've no television, no communication um, through, through the stands back out onto the field. We're completely left alone. There isn't going to be, I suppose I'm getting that, nobody's going to say in the second half, right, he's making amends there for something that happened. Because you, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't have found out. Do you look at the GA stuff, like given your background in the sport you're in, your smile already, are you looking at in terms of, because we've chatted before about like, is rugby the best route to go down? And you've said, no, actually, you know, in terms of the professionalism and all that, we're, we're fine where we're at. Do you look at other sports and go, geez, they're really, I do, I have to say you know, they really should do it this way in terms of the rugby relationship between refs and players. The natural relationship, the, the obvious one is football where you're just like, how is that How is that allowed? It's so heavily regulated in so many ways. And it just seems to me sometimes just carte blanche um, by, the, by the referees. You, you, like some, to the extent you're there, why would you be a referee um, sometimes? Um, there is a, an element of the uh, community piece around the the referees and stuff and, and I think that just gets magnified as the further up they go um, but then it's like throwing something when, when it all goes well um, and if you've, you have a good game and you're, and you're happy with it it's it's you know it's everybody's very very complimentary but it's just so unfortunately the the negative stuff gets massively um, it gets probably gets more um, more uh, airtime than it than it possibly should it's very you know very very Irish trait where we always focus on the on the on the bad on the on the bad things. You would like to see like this, you know, the the respect thing in you know, as somebody who grew up uh, playing uh, playing rugby and you know, GA was you know, hurling to to a certain point, um, and then just just rugby, you were basically told from day dot you do not say anything to the anything to the ref, and they have this kind of. Um, I suppose yeah, up on the up on the pedestal kind of a thing. You know, you don't. You know, it's yes sir, no sir kind of approach to the to the referees, and it's a, cu- a cultural thing. Um, but you know, I think it's important, particularly in say GAA, you don't throw all the good stuff in with you know the 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 moments of madness, and they are moments of madness. Whereas the majority of the GAA on you know plays off with you know little or no. Little or no, um, little or no issues, and the I suppose the the crack between the referee and the, and the players at club level, inter county level does does happen as well, and they're they're quite engaged in that. Mm. The, there's an incident driven nature almost to some of the analysis, isn't there? Like in a way that um, certainly not unique to here, and is probably most uh, amplified in in the Premier League, particularly you know some of the UK media tends to this monster spotlight on on an incident that's probably easier for you know journalists, pundits, for everybody to get on board with as opposed to actually sitting down and looking at the meat and drink of a game and where it went right and wrong, which must be a frustration, I presume, for a, 
that element. Yeah, it's hugely frustrating if you've gone through maybe 70 minutes of an inter-county match, maybe 10 minutes additional time, and they're focusing on one incident. Mm. Uh, and there's a huge discussion, discourse around that incident, particularly with pundits who are coming from uh, playing backgrounds who aren't as well versed in the rules as, as the referees. And it can be frustration that there's a lack of knowledge or an ignorance around what we're trying to do or implement and what the pundits are talking about. And, and that one focus on one negative perceived aspect of the game compared to maybe 75 minutes of a fantastic performance is, is hugely frustrating. I think there was a couple of years ago, uh, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher, I think it was the two of them, went on, they, they, they went to the uh, course. They, they, did, they were caught on offside on, on bits and pieces yes, and, yeah. in a training ground in, in, in the UK and it was very funny watching them trying yeah. to, to officiate. Like, to the they top. weren't getting it right. No, they I weren't getting it right, no. Did you ever, have you ever like thought about maybe one sort of slightly more creative way about going to this would be bring them in inside and say, here, listen, this is, what, this is how this all works and, you know. I've often uh, gone to speak to inter-county teams and got them to take out their mobile phones, sign up to a, a URL and put a kind of a pop quiz of 10 questions on rules up on the board, put up the most obscure um, ones that I could possibly find and get the guys to answer and the, the uh, answers come up live on the screen and it's hilarious. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking below 30% most of the time. Really? Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's interesting. The majority of inter-county players playing football maybe 20, 30 years of their life have never read the rules of the game. And then you add in the heating, you know, the heat of a of an intercounty game or like a final or like the adrenaline and all that stuff. It's in the heat of the battle, they just can just lose composure sometimes, yeah, and it all gets lost. Even just the bit that I always find, it's one of the like few games where you you pretty much have a you know a friend in battle the whole way around, and if you get the guy who's in your ear. Like and you, you had a bad day. Like there's so much about uh, GAA is around that sportsmanship, and I, I would like I would assume some people are better at it than others. And there's players who are much more more talented, and then there's their you know the cute lads that understand how to play a person as much as thing. And that's when like that is you know if you take that away from GAA, I think you will lose a huge amount for it. And then that's not condoning that it will it will inevitably. Um, boil over, you know, and rugby has its own issues um, that we're trying to stamp out certain behaviours in it. So there's always going to be things that you're always looking to fix in a, in a, in in any game. Um, but like I could I couldn't imagine like trying to be you know in the midfield and having so, either having to follow somebody and be talking to him the whole way. Yeah. <laughs> Enough to be doing like you never you never you always struck me as like somebody who quietly went around about their business that you were. I mean, it's a different dynamic, obviously, given rugby. But were you ever on the wrong side of a referee or? Um, not really. We're, you know, um, usually at the bottom of a rook, so I don't really, um, was never really, never a captain um, or, you know, anyone that needed, to be, talk, needed course, to be talking so. to a referee. You might occasionally let her, let, her, let her roar when you see a penalty or if someone's get somebody's, you're trying to influence them, but not directly. You might kind of, you know, you know, the referee might be standing there and you're kind of letting her roar about, you know, hands on or he's off his feet, something like that at the at the breakdown. Or you might, you know, back when you could, you might be scanning to see which side of the the referee was on and then walk over somebody. Yes, that's <laughs> yeah. And like funny, because it brings us nicely on, like at that time, conversations around mental health. Uh, in Ireland and around sport in Ireland were pretty much non-existent. They weren't, uh, they weren't, they weren't a thing. And you had obviously, a, a, I don't know how you describe it now, but certainly an interesting early journey into rugby and um, a speed wobble, let's call it at the start. What, what, um, how was your, uh, and I don't want to be uh, uh, exaggerating the point or putting words in your mouth, but your mental health around all that that was going on. You were a young man, obviously you were trying to find your way in the world and things hadn't exactly panned out as you might have liked. Yeah, um, I think I might, I've 
you know, I, I think I was, was a pretty resilient person, um, but definitely like, and kind of that t- story's been told to death with Matt Williams where, you know, he's, I think we're going in to negotiate a contract and he's telling me they're letting, they're going to let me go. Um, and then at the end of the thing, he says, I'm going to give you four weeks to save your contract. It's like, grand. So went away, you know, very confused, very frustrated, very lots of emotions, 19 years of age, I've been at a World Cup, I'm capped for Ireland and a coach is telling me, oh, you know, you're going to, you're, you're done here and then throwing me a, a lifeline. So to be honest, I didn't know how to cope with that. And I, and I, and I really didn't know where to go and I was kind of a little bit lost. And I remember chatting to my old man and my old man's quite a, quite a stoic individual, you know, doesn't say a huge amount, but usually when he does say something, there's a bit of, a bit of weight in behind it. And he just said, you know, cause Matt had kind of said like, you know, you're not really, you know, you're not really pulling your weight. You're not really, you know, you're playing well in games, but you know, you're, you're not doing much. And he just said, you know, do you think there's anything in what he said? And I was like, oh, you know, so that starts the ball rolling. And then you're going, right, now I've got a little bit of information here. I need to get more information. I started asking a few people I trusted, you know, what their view on me is. And it's, and this is, I think perception is a really important thing in, in all of this because we didn't have social media back then. I think we have, Facebook probably wasn't even, even around. Bebo or something probably. Definitely showing your age there. Um, so I didn't like I, I didn't have any um, idea of how like my teammates really viewed me, mm. and I asked a few of them, and it was absolutely brutal because you know I thought I was kind of tipping along maybe five six out of ten, and they were just like, "Don't trust you, don't trust you in the field. You're late to training. You're overweight. All this stuff." And I was like, "Oh my god!" Again, more information going in. I didn't know how to again how to how to start processing it, and I eventually started asking for help with people that you know could help me with the the fine tuning stuff like uh say jason Cameron was brilliant the snc guy at the time he was like listen look at that i went down to andrea cullen she was a um, dietitian down in limerick and you know went into the coach and said you know what do you want from me but like, that's you know that's only three three aspects of so the next thing is up here how do you get how do you how do you un like how do you get ready to, to perform and that was probably my issue was like going, I, I wanted to be better I just didn't have the tools to to do it um, and the, that's when I probably met Enda McNulty and that was all about you know controlling what goes on in your not controlling what goes on in your head um, but accepting what goes on in your head and then figuring out what's what's your best way forward so I had two very simple goals at the end of that period which was one was um, I wanted my peers to re- like to respect me, and the second one was if I got a chance to play for Ireland again, I'd be ready. And yeah, it worked out reasonably well. But like that, and then you move into the next the next period of that, which is you know when you do get to the stage, and now you're you're judged on the international stage, and you're judged on peers, and it's not just you know Jerry Thornley in the in the in the Irish Times that's you know giving you a score at the bottom of it. It's everybody's. You know, if you're on social media, you are open to global criticism. Um, you know, from a from a local audience, but it's it's there, and you know, you have to you have to be if you're either if you're going to be in that world, you have to be open to to, to both sides of it, and that's not necessarily easy all the time. It worked out way more than reasonably well. Just to pull you up on that, what um, after the four weeks, what happened? Did you sit down again, or 
Yeah, well, after the four weeks, they said, "Listen, we got you. We'll give you. We'll give you a contract." They gave me a pretty crappy contract. And I signed it. But you were delighted, probably. Were you? Or um, no, no. Like it's not. It wasn't about the money. It was yeah. now at that time. It was about getting you know undoing the damage that I had inflicted on myself. So it's like uh, you you know this with the being a, being a principal. I'm not saying you would label anybody in the way I'm going to label myself, but um, you get the reputation as a messer overnight, and it takes you you know it took me three four years to 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 do because every time you slip up. People look at you and they wonder, oh, is this the old Gordon? How is he going to react to you slipping up? Because it's not that. It's you mean internally? Yeah, internally. Yeah, yeah, internally. But your, you know, your your peer group, your coach, looking at you. You know, consistency. Um, Eddie Sullivan, the coach at the time, and he's like, "You're too inconsistent for me." It's very simple. Mm. It's not. It's not nice to hear, but it's very simple. Well, it did strike me as you were saying some of that stuff. Geez, hearing your peers say that type of stuff to you at that age you uh you it's know brilliant I, though like yeah. this is what i'm saying about perception you know how people understand you how they perceive you mm. if i don't get that if i don't get that information how can i possibly go forward how can i you know i live in this little vacuum of without any sort of self-awareness could easily send you the other way of course you could have easily got spat out and said that you know there's too much here it's yeah and but isn't that a good thing then because yeah. you're not crushing you're not getting crushed under the pressure of uh trying to you're, you know getting crushed under that level of pressure if it's not for you it's not for you um i enjoyed it like in some ways like after hearing it you know pe- people telling me um what was one of them it's like uh there's more to get more to being a professional than getting paid one of them was like you showing up here every day you're either going to be a positive or negative mm-hmm. and you not being a negative so you showing up and not screwing up is not good enough you've got to be your best every day and you're just like oh this is actually I could have done with this when I left school yeah, <laughs> instead of wasting 18, 18 24 months one last one on this one I just want to ask you both about is like the you know the concept to turn up to a grand you know at the Viva last weekend there's 45,000 people there or there's 80,000 people plus and all our final day whatever it might be um, and so, touching on some of the areas we touched on earlier on in relation to the uh, you know response to stuff that happens on the pitch for good or for bad um, do you think that the fans of any sort of concept of the pressure, I suppose, it's on, let's say, a referee where you're in the middle of the pitch and, you know, the, the I think a lot of people maybe have the perception that you've just turned up, you're here, you're going to referee the game, so there's nobody else to do it, whereas, like, your journey couldn't be any more different than that. Yeah, I suppose we have different journeys to a stadium, uh, uh, Gordon, um, just that mine, I have to plan myself. I'm driving in my own car, my own umpires. We don't have guard escorts or buses down tunnels, you know, dropped at the dressing room door. So they do see us, unfortunately, just arriving and landing into the parking um, in a stadium. like, And it can be a fairly daunting walk um, sometimes, particularly um, when it's in Crow Park. Um, Parky Cueve, um, Semple Stadium, somewhere big, big match days and you're walking through the fans, no special treatment for the referee uh, trying to get into the dressing room and uh, you know some comments can be, be thrown at you and it's very difficult to, to block those out um, and I don't think fans really appreciate um, the type of mindset we're trying to um, um, get into it to prepare for, for a huge game like that and they would have no idea of the pressures that are on you and the stress that you've gone through in the week before. There's no different than a player. You don't want to make uh, a big mistake that's going to cost someone their opportunity to get to an All-Ireland final or to lift Sam Maguire. So the, the pressure is, is immense. What about your experience when you were playing? Was there that, like, you know, the fans are on your back about something? Or, you know, look, it can go both ways. They're delighted with you and they're cheering. Sure, listen, you know, for the first... But eleven years of my career, we didn't we didn't really win anything, mm. so it was kind of a, a fru- you know a, 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 a continual frustration. I think you know the 
commentary from somebody in a stand, usually over the over the heads, one, one too many beers. Um, and I think what happened with social media is the one that's added this kind of. It's almost like a uh, a disassociation to the comment you're making. Oh, it's not really going to Davis because I put it on social media, but. You know, he's never going to see that. I'm just throwing something into the into the ether, um, and I think you can be fairly com- uh, confident that every player, every ref, everything, all those, all that commentary filters back to them in some shape, way, or form. It might not be the person directly seeing it, but it might be their wife, it might be their partner, it could be their kids, whoever it is that comes back in, and that's the bit I, you know, you kind of you kind of struggle with because unfortunately that's become the barometer of uh, public opinion, um, and you just kind of you kind of wish that you're there going. Listen, if you wouldn't say it on Grafton Street to somebody, if you met them, don't stick it in a don't stick it in a in a in a in a message because that's the stuff that can really get into your head um, and do and potentially doing a, a lot of a lot Make of damage. And- yeah, and like that's the bit you know you like the one of the things. Um, that you know became very clear to me over a long period of time was around this narrative that you create for yourself, and sometimes it can be that confirmation bias of where you are. You, you have a feeling of something like, "Oh, I'm not playing particularly well," and then you're only aware of the negative commentary that comes your way, and you're just like, "Oh," and then you get very down yourself. And how you get it, and how to get out of that is, you know, can be can be quite hard. Um, and you know, and again, I love I love Ender's uh, eternal um, optimism, and uh, you know, he's like a like an energy drink when you when you meet him he's just a tonic for life and he's just there well just flip that in his head and you know believe in yourself and then find the confirmation bias of the positive stuff that's really hard to do um but it takes practice it's like anything and i don't think you know you talked about um you know strategies and stuff like that talking about you know how you deal with mental uh you know mental awareness and things like that it takes practice, and that's you know something we're not we're getting com- we're getting comfortable about talking about it, not necessarily, you know, because it's the you know it's the you you'll be the only one who knows. Have you are you you know do you do you look after yourself? Do you check in? Do all these little things uh, with yourself? Um, so, but it is it's pretty important. We're here with Gordon Darcy and David Goff, and as always, thanks to Gillette and on association with Movember, effortless shave, magnificent mole. Gordon, David, thanks a million for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.